Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, joined this week by Jake McGee. Hi, Jake. Hello, Josh, Jake McGee. There's just the two of us. Just the two of us. Uh, Dave cannot make it today, unfortunately. He is stuck on the mainland and has been since, since Tuesday. When was he, suppo- so. well, he was supposed to come home on Tuesday, I think. And they cancelled oh, no, his too, too, too busy celebrating Bobby Wagner. Ah, uh, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, so he's, yeah, he's on the mainland, waiting on a ferry. He has been stuck on the other side of the water for some time. So uh, once he comes back, he'll, he'll be joining us next week. Um, so we're going to have a slightly abridged episode for you this week. Myself and Jake, we've still got plenty of news to talk about, but uh, luckily we won't be getting interrupted every two seconds by Dave, so that's good. Um, so we're going to kick off with something that we should have covered last week, or possibly even the week before, which is the change to the overtime rules. We It's something that, for some reason, we just missed it, so we do need to talk about the overtime rules. Jake, tell me, what are the new overtime rules being proposed by the NFL? Yeah, so each year they tend to be more of a reactive sport than a proactive sport. Remember the pass interference got a big change after the, the Saints-Rams incident, yes, yes. Uh, and then this year... Uh, the Bills and the Chiefs. Josh Allen has a, a fantastic game. And then the Chiefs win the coin toss and Josh Allen never sees the field again. So this is only in the postseason, which is very interesting. Um, but both teams will have a chance for their offense to get the ball, basically. Uh, and then it goes to sudden death after that. Um, but no more um, one and done in the postseason um, overtime. So I think it's... Especially because it's postseason only, I think that's very interesting. Um, I think they just want in the biggest spots they want both offenses and, and I suppose both defenses to have a chance to to win the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn on the changing the overtime rules because it took me a while to get used to when they first changed it back in 2011. So, for those of you who don't remember before then, basically the overtime rules were. Any team that scores wins the game. So you could kick off and the other team would run four plays, kick a field goal, and that was it. Game over. And then it changed to the team that scores, if the team scores a touchdown, the team that possesses the ball first scores a touchdown, the game is over. If they kick a field goal uh, or, or don't score at all, the other team has a chance to possess. And of course, the very first game that that happened in was the wild card at Mile High Stadium. Talking about the Broncos again, uh, Tim Tebow hitting Demarius Thomas, RIP Demarius Thomas, um, for 80 yards against Pittsburgh Steelers and sent the Broncos to the divisional round against the New England Patriots. So that was back in 2011 postseason. And here we are 11 years later, it would be 2022 season, with another change. But what do you think, Jake? I mean, I look at this and I say, they're, they're changing it as you say, retrospectively because of what yeah. happened last year with Josh Allen but who's to say that if the Bills have got the ball that they would have scored anyway it's I know I know what people are saying I know why they want it but what what happens if this year the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills meet again in the playoffs and the Bills get the ball run down the field score and then the Chiefs get the ball run down the field score and then the Bills have to run down the field score and the Chiefs run down the field score you're just going to have games going on for 
who knows how long. These players are already gassed having played uh, a, a full 60-minute uh, ball game. Well, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Jake? Do you, do you like the change? I like the change more than I thought in terms of obviously it's only for the postseason. So obviously in the, in the season, is it 10 minutes or is it just a, a normal quarter size in terms of, you know, if no one scores, they'll just tie the game. Because, you know, you've got to draw the line at some point. Like you say, the season's long enough as it is. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, honestly, because of, I remember the Saints, Rams and the pass interference and the outroar. And obviously then the social media afterwards, I think it was the same with the Chiefs and the Bills. Everyone was really enjoying that game. You're thinking the Bills are going to do it. Josh Allen looks fantastic. And then he's got, he just the camera just cuts to him. He just sat on the bench just waiting, waiting. And then it's like, oh, game over. You don't get to touch the ball again. And everyone was like, this doesn't feel right. Um, so it's one of them. I think because it's for the, the playoffs and obviously that's when you want everything on the line, it's uh, an interesting change. It will certainly be... Um, you know, tried out and tested, and then if it fails, I'm sure they'll revert back. But um, I, I don't mind it at all. I think the Chiefs can actually feel slightly not aggrieved. It's the wrong word. Back in Tom Brady's last AFC Championship game, you know that went into overtime. Patrick Mahomes never saw the ball, and mm -hmm. they wanted the rule changed then. Back in the twenty, I want to say twenty. 14 NFC championship game between the Packers and the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks got the ball first in Rodgers never saw. That was that ridiculous comeback. Yeah. Um, where the ball went, the onside kick went straight through the hands. I, I can't remember. Richard Rodgers was it? I can't remember. I cannot remember. I just, uh, no, Bostick. Oh, yes. Bostick. Yes. It went through his hands and I believe Jordy Nelson was standing behind him ready to take the onside kick and Bostick went up to try and get it and, and it it didn't work. Um, so he got a lot of heat for that. But, you know, Rodgers never saw the ball again. The Seahawks went down and scored. It just kind of feels like it's purely because this was a much more enjoyable game. And that's, yes. only, <laughs> that's the only reason that they're saying, oh, we need to change this because I really liked watching the Bills and Chiefs play and we need to extend this game somehow. Yeah, if you somehow end up with, say, the Saints versus, you know, for argument's sake, like Washington somehow in like the wild card, no one's going to be saying, I really want to see another quarter of James Winston against Carlson Wentz. You know, I'm really, because really up for it. I think because it was Patrick Mahomes against Josh Allen, everyone, you know, wants it to go on forever, but you have to draw a line. After, you know, after the, the first time both teams touched the ball, if then the Chiefs went on to score, the game would be over again. So it was like, wh where do you draw the line? That's true. And and what if it had been a game the likes of a few years ago that the Seahawks and the Cardinals were playing? And I think it was a six-all tie. And there must have been half a dozen missed field goals in that game. At what point do you say, we've seen enough? Yeah. You know, when, when neither team can, has scored since the first quarter... And none of them look like they're about to score. You know, they're just missed field goal, punt, 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 missed field goal, missed field goal, punt, missed field goal. And you think to yourself, something's got to give. You know, it's, if that had been an AFC championship game, then no one would be crying for these rules to get changed. The other thing, I think, is that this now gives an advantage to the team... Because they said, what we want to do is remove the advantage of the team that wins the coin toss. Mm -hmm. because, so that, that, was, that was the idea behind this. Uh, because the team that wins the coin toss uh, will opt to receive, march on the field, score touch, and game's over. 
Now, the team that wins the coin toss will more than likely defer. So they know where they stand. Do I need to score a touchdown or can I just go for a field goal? Well, exactly. Now, I believe Rich Eisen spoke about this and somebody else did as well and I can't remember who it was. The problem is, so there's there's uh, Jake McGee, the, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And nice. On the other side is uh, Dave, the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. It's the NFC Championship game, right? It's tied at 35 going into overtime. The coin is thrown up in the air and you think to yourself, you win the toss. Now you think to yourself, if I get the ball first and I've got a fourth and seven, fourth and eight, am I going for it? Should I punt it? Do I trust my defense? What if it's a fourth and two? What do you do then? What if it's a fourth and eight on the opponent's 20-yard line? Do you kick the field goal? Do you go for it? Here's the thing. Regardless of what you do, when that position is switched around to the other coach, let's say you do score a touchdown. Okay, you just go down, bang, 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 three plays and score. Now, the opposition, this is this is uh, Jake McGee now because Dave's gone three plays and scored a touchdown. Jake's there, and you've got a fourth and eight in your own 10-yard line. You know what you're doing. You're going for it. Yeah, there's no decision. There's no decision. And all decisions have now been removed. And you now know that you are playing four downs every single time. So if it's third and 10, you're not going for the first down. Automatically. You might be going for, well, all we need, because we know this play can get us three yards, so we just need seven. And then run this play, that'll get us three yards. It takes all of that out. The The team that wins and defers, I would argue, is at an even higher advantage than it was previously. Whoever wins the coin toss, I would say, has a massive advantage. When, when you think the, at the start of the game, most teams defer now because they, like you say, they want to have the ball going second. Yes. So, and I think it was Bill Belichick who used to do that. I think he was the first guy to do it every time he won. He would defer. And it was all about we want to score at the end of the first half and have the ball at the beginning of the second half we want to maximize maximize your possessions so if if he got the ball with a minute to go in the first half he'd endeavor to go down kick a field goal you know go in a wee high and then come out and and score on the opening opening drive if he got the ball with seven minutes to go in the second quarter he'd endeavor to take seven minutes off the clock so that your team doesn't get a chance. I I don't know when it was. It was back in the early 90s. I'm going to say it was 1992. The Houston Oilers and the coach, who I believe was Jack Pardee at the time, they had a, a game where they ended the first, uh, sorry, they ended the first half with like a seven-minute drive. So or seven and a half. So like half the, half the second quarter was taken up by a drive. But they didn't score a touchdown. They ended up kicking a field goal. There was a lot of penalties in that drive. It wasn't, wasn't great. But they opened the second half with a 10-minute drive. Now, if you're the opposing quarterback, you're sitting there for, you know, seven and a half minutes, and then you've got half time, and then there's another 10 minutes of game time. You could be sitting down for an hour before you see the ball. That's a long time, for, especially, you know, if you had, maybe you had a bit of momentum in the first quarter, it's all gone. 
that momentum has disappeared. It's like starting a new game. Yeah, so that's uh, kind of what they were doing with Lamar Jackson and uh, Baltimore. They were running the ball, taking down all that time, and just limiting the possessions. And, you know, you think of some of the um, quarterbacks in the AFC, and obviously Bill Belichick probably was doing it to avoid Peyton Manning. You want to keep that quarterback, like you say, if you can keep them off the field for an hour, then you're increasing your chances of winning that game uh, tenfold, so... No, absolutely. Think, like you say. Yeah, and he, he was the he was the defensive coordinator in Super Bowl twenty five against that Buffalo Bills team with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid. And that's exactly what he did. So he I mean, he's been doing this since nineteen ninety. Doing this exact thing. You come up against a high powered offense, that's you say Peyton Manning, you come up against that. I don't want to give Peyton Manning another possession. I don't want to if it's five minutes to go in the first half, I don't want to score in two minutes and give Peyton Manning three minutes. To go and score because you know he can so yeah i mean belichick's been doing this for a long long time and other people you know the nfl is a, a copycat league that's what they call it mm-hmm. they see something that works and they're saying, if it's working for this guy who's really really successful and winning loads of super bowls we should start doing it and um as you say you're absolutely right with that with the ravens that's what they do run the ball run the ball take as much time off the clock as you possibly can and you know if you can score touchdowns great that's, it seems to be almost what it's like. So the overtime rules, it changes it. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on whether or not it makes the game better. It'll certainly make the game slightly longer, which in some cases will be a great thing. In others, perhaps not so much. As a UK fans, sometimes you just want to go to bed. Particularly, you know, primetime games. My goodness. That's just... When you get a game kicking off at half past one in the morning, that's uh, that, that's a late night. That's a real late night. Um, yeah, sometimes there's, there's one week. There's one week in the season where the clocks go back or go forward in America, and they don't go back for us or forward for a, another week. And there's that one week where everything is just at five o'clock, eight o'clock, and uh, midnight. And that, oh, that's a good week. That's, a, that's an amazing week. I envy. I, I envy people who live in the west coast of America. No, not just because of the weather. You know, down in <laughs> down in San Diego or places like that. Um, you know, getting up at seven in the morning, watching the game. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd take that. Absolutely. When I was in, in the States last year, get up for breakfast and good morning football was on at breakfast time when <laughs> it's supposed to be. Whereas I think we get it at, um, when do we get it? Two, like two, three o'clock, isn't it? <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon when we get to see uh, Kay Adams and the gang. Uh, so yes, yes, there we are. We'd, we'd like to have some some earlier games, please. If uh, Roger Goodell is listening to the podcast, and I'm, I'm sure he is, then he should definitely think about making maybe knocking those kickoff times forward. You know, but just bring them forward an hour, maybe two hours, particularly the West Coast games, uh, the, the evening games, I should say. Evening games. Uh, that would be nice. Um, so, yes, that's the overtime rules discussed. Now, we also do need to discuss uh, a retirement that happened this week, Jake. Uh, Bruce Arians retired, announced his retirement. It sort of came out of the blue. I don't think many people saw it coming. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Did you see it coming? Um, there was definitely rumours of it uh, abound. I think... At the combine, when Tom Brady was still retired or not playing football, and Arians was taking shots, saying, "Oh, we'll just we'll be just fine with Blaine Gabbert," 
I think when Brady came back, especially from what Aaron just said in terms of him and Brady get on fine, but I think Aaron's wanted to leave Todd Bowles with a chance and a good team and it seemed like a good time for for everyone. I didn't I didn't watch all of the the press press conference. He seemed relieved to be going, which is kind of strange. You know, he's only a you know a year removed from a Super Bowl victory, but he, he did. He looked relieved, and uh, I think you're right. Maybe he just took a little bit too much stick uh, winning a Super Bowl because Tom Brady was there. He's retired before as well, so he came out of retirement for the books. Um, so I think he made a joke that he's got this new title. He has no idea what it means, but. I mean, he's been around. He got his big break in 2012. That was the year that Chuck Pagano was the head coach of the Colts and obviously went down with leukemia. Um, so the Colts were 2-14 and 14 the year before and then under Arians went 9-3 and three, hmm. and he became the first interim coach to win NFL Coach of the Year. He won his second Coach of the Year in 2014. I mean, he's really worked under with a who's who of the quarterbacks. You know, Peyton Manning, Big Ben, Andrew Luck, uh, Carson Palmer had his best years under um, Arians, and then obviously finishing off your career with Tom Brady is not not a bad way to kind of wrap it up. No, not at all. He's he's had a very successful career. He sort of goes under the radar as being a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, not really sure why. I mean, it's, you. I mean, just from what you've you've rattled off there, you any any other coach would take that. Perhaps because he's had all these great callbacks, everyone kind of undervalues what he's done, but his offense. I mean, Carson Palmer was a, just a different player. He was second team all pro. He was a legitimate MVP candidate. I think he was, him and Brady were the only other people to get any MVP votes in Cam Newton's MVP year. Oh, I mean, he had 35 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, took the Cardinals to 13 and 3. I mean, that, that, you know, he made Carson Palmer look like Tom Brady. Oh, he did indeed. Palmer did look dangerous that year. Did they? Was it the divisional playoffs or the championship game they met the the Panthers that year? I think it was a championship game. They didn't so thirteen re- and three, and then yeah. they didn't like re- say the Panthers. Uh, that that Panthers team was it was fantastic. That was a, that was a great great team, really good. A lot of talent, but particularly on the defense. That Panthers defense didn't get an awful lot of credit, despite the fact that it had really good. It was ranked really highly, but it didn't because Cam Newton had such a great season. Everyone mm-hmm. just kind of overlooked the defense, but that was a great defense the Panthers had in twenty fifteen. Um, it really was, and then of course with with the Super Bowl, they just sort of got outshone by the by the no fly zone. But um, all year long, that Panthers defense was that was making plays. And uh, yeah, Cam Newton, thirty-five passing touchdowns, ten rushing touchdowns. The guy was doing it all. It was a uh, good time to be a Panthers fan back then. It really was. Uh, not so much these days, unfortunately, for them. Now, we've got. Uh, we do have more news to talk about. Uh, we've got some big contract news. A lot of big contracts being signed, uh, particularly the wide receivers again. We we joked about this two weeks ago. And last week, in fact, with the the Christian Kirk contract, and how he's taken a beating. He is he he's taken he has he's taken it on the chin on this show, and um, we've been vindicated because we we said two weeks ago if you're going to pay that for Christian Kirk, all these other receivers are going to want a big payday. And Jake, tell us what happened. 
Yeah, so Stefan Diggs, I believe he had a year left, but he gets a, a four-year extension worth $96 million, a nice $21.5 million signing bonus, and $17 million in total guarantees. So he's um, with the Bills now through 2027, with obviously the expectation he's going to retire a bill. So they've locked him up. They have indeed locked him up, and they've got they've been spending a lot of money, Buffalo. That uh, the Von Miller contract from two weeks ago, and now this contract with Stefan Diggs. I think perhaps the head coach is just looking at it, saying, "Do you know what? We've got the quarterback, we've got the system. We need to keep the players because if they continue with the system, they can stay healthy." He's thinking to himself, "We've got a possible." dynasty on our hands Josh Allen is that good let's keep his best receiver uh, and there's and there's some other great players on the Buffalo team it's a good supporting cast they've got and uh, they're going for not so much win now you always hear that when teams make you know big signings locking up a player for five years and then signing a big free agent for uh, six years I think it was they're saying oh it's a win now mentality I don't think that's the case with Buffalo I think it's a, yes, win now, but also win five years from now. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. They, they want to run that division like the Patriots run it. So they don't want to let go. No, they're harking back to their, their Hades of uh, the late 80s and early 90s. And quite right. Quite right. Bill's fans, uh, Bill's mafia have suffered for a long time. An awful long time. And, and you know, the one time where it did look like they were getting somewhere, they had the, the Motor City miracle happen to them. And just, no, wasn't the, wasn't the Motor City miracle. What was it called? The Music City miracle. Music City, yeah. Motor City. That's Detroit. What? Oh, my goodness. Tell- Music City, Tennessee. Tennessee, Yes. Tennessee, the Music City Miracle. That was against the Bills. Back in, uh, Wade Phillips was the head coach. And that, that was an absolute kick in the teeth for that entire franchise. To have it just ripped away from them uh, at the last second. When they, they clearly thought, everyone thought, we've won the game. That's it. Game over. You know, the, the only way that they can score is by a miracle. And they pulled one out. And I believe it was um, Dyson who, who took that. Took it in for the touchdown for Tennessee against the Bills. So they've really had they've not had a lot of luck um, since their, their Hades back in the early to mid-90s. So it's good to see the, them coming through because they, the fans deserve it. Buffalo's got a great fan base. Love that fan base. They're mental, but, <laughs> but they're really good. So another receiver, it's not just Stefan Diggs, has been in the news. Um, Devontae Parker. He got himself uh, a nice pay as well. Jake, any details on that? Yeah, so Devontae Parker and a 22 fifth-round pick heads to the Patriots and a 2023 a third-round pick heads back to the Dolphins in return. So he's joining kind of an underrated group now. And When I look at it, so you've got Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Mm. I mean... Patriots are absolutely horrendous at drafting wide receivers. I mean, if you look through the list, it is a uh, it's it's a who's who of who's no longer in the NFL. Um, so trading for one probably the better option for them. And uh, after the Tyreek Hill trade, um, it, the writing was on the door in terms of 
Parker was on his way out. I don't think many people expect him to be traded within the division and for such a cheap price as well, but it feels like a very Patriots move. Absolutely. I believe you actually mentioned it last week in the show. Um, Devontae Parker went from being wide receiver number one to essentially number four. Um, and now he's out the door. So he's, you know, he got himself a payday. He's gone to a team that values him uh, and the Patriots will use him. You mentioned Hunter Henry, uh, Hunter Henry there. I'm a big fan of Hunter Henry. I think he's a fantastic player. I like him a lot. Um, and he's he's got a lot to offer. Mac Jones, uh, his situation just keeps getting better and better. It's it's almost uh, an embarrassment. Um, it, which is strange, because as you say, there's not many, you know, megastars, particularly a receiver. You know, there's no huge, mm-hmm. huge name players. You know, they didn't get... Um, Devontae Adams they didn't get Tyree Kill but Bill Belichick and again bring it back to Belichick he'll be saying I don't need Devontae Adams I don't need Tyree Kill I just need someone who can catch the ball and he's got someone Devontae Parker's an excellent receiver Um, he's got good tight ends good receivers it's a good offensive line Mac Jones did not take too many hits last year and um, you know I hate to say it Patriots in with a shout with a wild card again this year. Everyone's banging on about the Miami Dolphins, um, saying, oh, the Miami Dolphins are going to do this, they're going to do that. Uh, they've yet to show that they can beat the Patriots uh, out to get to the playoffs. Uh, d- playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Come January, we'll, we'll see who's there. And unfortunately, I, I'm shaking my head while I'm saying it, I think New England might be in the playoffs again come January. They're always in and about, but the, the Dolphins, to counter it, kind of give themselves a bit more reassurance, uh, have made uh, Xavier Howard, the cornerback, the highest paid corner in the league. Ooh. I mean, he's not far off a really recent contract, but it became outdated quite quickly. Um, and at last year, he was holding out, and I think this year, there was rumours that he might be holding out, so Dolphins have just got ahead of the curve. Um, he had three years left, but they've given two more years for about $50 million. I mean, he's had three Pro Bowls in a row. He led the league in interceptions in 2020. He has really been one of the, the consistent corners in the league and certainly getting paid like it as well. Yeah, he's an outstanding player. Absolutely outstanding player. Um, but good for him. It's good It's good to see players get, being valued properly, uh, at, especially at positions which generally go undervalued. So good for Xavier and Howard. I'd like to hear that. Now, uh, obviously, that... That's us talking about the trade with uh, Devontae Parker there. But there was another trade that happened. Just a small one. That happened this week. Um, And it involves your team, Mr. McGee. So talk to me. Give me the details about what what I consider a strange trade. Not not in what was given and what was received, but just the timing of it was very bizarre. Um, Tell us all about it. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement that the timing of it is just uh, very peculiar. But uh, And to be honest, when it first got reported and uh, on Twitter, you're trying to make heads and tails of it. Thankfully, um, for a simple person like me, they put out you know, a picture with, with less writing. It was easier to read. Um, so the basics of it is the Saints receive um, the 22 um, 16th pick. So we've now got the 16th, the 19th, and the 194th from the Eagles. And in return, the Eagles got, in 2022, they got our 18th pick, the 101st pick, 
and the 237th pick. Um, but to make the deal even better for the 2023, uh, the Eagles received a first. And then in 2024, they've got the Saints second. So I think it's absolutely great overall for the um, Eagles and Howie Roseman. Um, they obviously had three first-round picks this year. And this year, I believe, is a kind of a make-and-break um, for their quarterback. So getting two firsts next year, obviously they've got the Roman, now they've got the Saints. If it doesn't work out, they now have perfect insurance in terms of being able to go get another quarterback in a, in a better draft class. Um, I mean, they've got great value. I think it's definitely a win for the Eagles. They, I don't think they have any complaints. As for the Saints, it's kind of they must really like what they see in this draft because it can go one of two ways. I think the way I think it's going to go and the way I hope it's going to go, we'll draft a wide receiver, an offensive tackle, a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. Um, but there is kind of rumors out there that the Saints may not be done. And maybe this could be in terms of maybe drafting up to, say, the five with the Giants taking a quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, things could get wild. Yeah, I I looked at it, and I'm I'm with you. I'm so happy when people post the wee pictures on Twitter, so I can yeah. understand, so I can understand what's going on. Because quite often I look at it and go, I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. What um, does that actually mean? The Saints had two first round draft picks this year. No, we just had the one this year. I think sorry, we had sorry, 18. sorry, sorry. You had the one, and you've now mm -hmm. got two. Yes, I believe the, the Saints Eagles had had three. No, mm -hmm. had had three. They've now got two, but they've also got two next year. Um, so the Eagles, yes, they have obviously two next year because they have now the Saints' first round of twenty twenty three. So rather than having three this year and one next year, they've got two and two. Right. Got you. So the Saints <laughs> had eighteen. I think the Eagles had fifteen. 16 and 19 and now they've got I think it's 17 and 18 it's all no, 15 and 18 because the Saints have got 16 and 19 it's all a bit of a mess uh, it's very confusing like I say when it came out on the, in the text it was very confusing um, but the, the ins and outs is that the Saints have two first round picks this year and the Eagles have two first round picks it's just been a bit backdated for the Eagles in terms of a 2023 first and a 2024 second. Right. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot to unwrap in that. It an is. An awful lot to unwrap in that. But are, are you happy? With, as, a, as a Saints fan, are you happy with it? Because it does look like this. the Saints... Now, what I would look at that is that the, bringing in another first round seems to me that the trades are not all done yet and possibly the Saints might look to trade up in the given, Yeah, give, given the time scale, if this was on draft night, I think the Saints obviously may be they're looking at the board, you know, we're on the 10th pick. They've got two players that they really like, you know, maybe there's three or four players on the board that they really like, and they're going, hold on, we can get two, two of these three or four players, let's make a change. Um, but to do it this early, you know, three weeks in advance, kind of telling all the teams around you as well, like, hey guys, Mm. Um, we're doing things over here. We're going to make it very public and let you know, so you've got time to to alter your plans as well. It's very strange timing. Now, if we can replicate the 2017 draft, then I'm all for it. If we can replicate the 2000, I think it's 11 draft, 
where we had two first-round picks when we picked Cam Jordan and Mark Ingram. I'm all for it. Um, it is kind of a win-win for the Eagles and very much a win-lose for the Saints. You know, if, if we say we keep the two picks mm-hmm. and we hit big on them, mm-hmm. you look like a genius. You pick the two picks and three years in, neither of them are playing in the league, you've got egg on your face. So it's, it's kind of, it'll be very interesting. It's obviously a bigger risk for the Saints. If I, I'd be much happier if I was an Eagles fan because you just kind of get in. You, you can't really lose. Um, yeah. I think everyone knew the Eagles were going to trade at some point because having three first-round picks, um, like I say, they were always looking to try and get a, an extra first-round pick next year where there's may, maybe some better quarterbacks that they're interested in. Hmm. So it's the main thing and the most annoying thing for me is the timing. I, if this was on draft night, I'd be very excited, very, oh, you know, in the moment, but the fact that we've done it so far in advance and kind of let everyone else in the league know that we're doing it in advance is very strange. It it is. It's it's bizarre. I've I don't think I've ever seen this. You know, just a, a few weeks before the draft, I've, I've never seen this before. I, I, if I have, I've forgotten all about it. It's it's a very very strange trade to happen. It's a, a one one of a kind for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely is. No, no players, just picks. And like I say, we've seen plenty of pick trades on the night. And again, you get these graphs telling you exactly who gets what. And you're going, cool, looks cool. I'm sure it makes sense to somebody. But not this many weeks in advance. No, I mean, you, you talk about draft trades. Um, when when Mike Didka uh, traded his entire draft, <laughs> his entire got draft married. class. For- for Ricky Williams, I, he was he was high on Ricky Williams. Yeah, he was. Um, Ricky Williams might have been high as well. Uh, <laughs> he most likely was. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, that was. I, I remember that it was Paul Tagliabue. I think he was commissioner at the time. Reading out, he said, "There has been a trade." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh, okay," and said uh, the Seattle Seahawks have traded. Uh, not not Seattle Seahawks. Um, the New Orleans Saints have trade. Who did they? Who did they make the trade with? I can't remember. Uh, was it? Oh, I actually can't. I was, was going to say Dallas, but it wasn't. Do you know? I, I don't can't know. remember who it was. No idea. Probably look that up. Um, and then he said, "Also, oh, the New Orleans Saints have traded their first round pick, and their second round pick, and their third round pick, <laughs> and their fourth round pick, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh, plus next year's." Second and third, was it? It was... It was a lot. You were sitting there going, what are you doing? Please stop. Please stop. (laughs) It's like, stop talking, Paul. (laughs) Stop talking. This is ridiculous. The the amount of draft picks on draft day to get traded. Um, I mean, obviously, people talk about the the Herschel Walker trade back in 1989 Mm -hmm. when Jimmy Johnson traded everything to the Minnesota... um, Sorry, the Vikings traded everything to the Cowboys for Herschel Walker. Um, and Including there was, players. Yeah, it was like six or seven picks and three players. And then Johnson traded those players to get more picks. And just, it was just he was just loading up on draft picks. Um, but the Ricky Williams one didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Maybe it made sense to Mike Ditka, not to me. See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. <laughs> I know, I know I'm smarter than that son. I mean, he got a good cover photo out of it, so... 
Ah, there was always that. Ricky Williams, number one draft pick in a wedding dress. Absolutely. Absolutely he was. Now, the draft is coming up. That's why, obviously, we're talking about the draft so much with these. Um, So what we're going to do now is... Random stats. My random stat this week is about the NFL draft. Jake, what is your random stat about this week? My random stat is about wide receivers, seeing as we keep on kind of talking about the, the wide receiver market. So I've tried to tie into that. Oh, we do? Well, in that case, do you know what? Why don't you why don't you start? I've, I've gone first the last two weeks. Um, tell me about a wide receiver or several wide receivers, whatever is your point. Just, just the one wide receiver and a, a legend of a wide receiver at that. It's Larry Fitzgerald. The eleven times Pro Bowler, and now the first ha- first stat I found when I was looking looking around the internet for my stat was just a small little nugget. I thought I'll keep that on the back burner in case I can't find anything better. But I found something better within that stat. Um, so the original stat was that Larry Fitzgerald was an eleven times Pro Bowler, and all the quarterbacks that Fitz played with in his career would combine for three Pro Bowls. I thought, wow, that really is. Making the most of a bad situation. <laughs> That's pretty poor. But upon further um, looking into good old Larry, just a, a standout human and a, probably a very underrated wide receiver, mm-hmm. uh, the best stat I found for him was that in his career, he ended up with more tackles, which was 40, mm-hmm. than he did with drop. Uh, with, with drops. So he had only had 29 drops in his entire career. So it shows two things. It shows how reliable he was in terms of he never never dropped the ball, uh, but also shows why there was probably only three Pro Bowls at the uh, quarterback because he was chasing a lot of interceptions. He made 40 tackles in his Yes, career. 40 tackles and only 29 drops. He had some shoot-ons. Larry, Larry Fitzgerald this an, an all-time great wide receiver. Uh, when he retires... He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, he's pretty much up there um, in second or third place for all the the receiving uh, records. Um, his longevity has been insane. And uh, the, the fact that he had 11 Pro Bowls and, <laughs> and his, his quarterbacks only had three, that's, uh, that's something else. And of course, he had that an unbelievable touchdown uh, in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Um, I forget what year that was, but uh, when he just split the split the secondary right down the middle and took off, I was literally screaming at my television for him to run. Um, that was that was a magical year for the Cardinals uh, and Lanny Fitzgerald. Yeah, what a guy! Absolutely. Did he did he not also did he win Walter Payton Man of the Year? I would assume so. I mean, he's some of the things he's done and some of the things he's been through. I mean, he's, like I say, not only a great wide receiver, but seemingly a great human as well. Okay, so my random stat concerns the NFL draft. It is coming up, so we should be talking about it, but it's not this year's draft and it's not last year's draft. We are going back in time to the year 2010. Now, the, the reason I'm going back to the year 2010 is because there have been some parallels with this year's draft class and the 2010 draft class, notably because of the level of talent on the defensive side of the ball and wide receivers, not so much people talking about quarterbacks. So I'm going to go through some notable picks 
from the 2010 draft. And then I'm going to uh, tell you what the actual stat is. So in in the first round, if you picked in the first seven picks, you had a six in seven chance of drafting a pro bowler. The players who made the Pro Bowl that year from those first seven, uh, Indomitian Sue, Gerald McCoy, defensive tackle for the Buccaneers, Trent Williams, Eric Berry, um, Russell Okung, offensive tackle, and Joe Hayden, cornerback for the Cleveland Browns. If you had drafted from numbers 12 to 18, uh, which is another seven picks, you would have had a 6-in-7 chance of drafting a pro bowler. Running back Ryan Matthews, defensive end Brandon Graham, safety Errol Thomas, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul to the Giants, Mark Upati uh, for the 49ers, and Marquis Pouncey, centre uh, for the Steelers, all-time great. Now, the receivers who were taken in the 2010 NFL draft were pretty good. You had tight ends, Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham, both taken in 2010. You had wide receivers, Demanius Thomas, Des Bryant, Emmanuel Sanders, and Antonio Brown, all in the 2010 draft. But these are not the players I want to talk about. The players I want to talk about are the quarterbacks. And this may be the worst quarterback class of all time. Now, people might disagree with me on this one, But you remember when I told you that six out of the first seven players made Pro Bowls? Mm. (laughs) Well, the only one who didn't was a quarterback. And he was the first player taken overall. Quarterback Sam Bradford to the St. Louis Rams. Sam Bradford didn't make a Pro Bowl in his career. Now, the next quarterback drafted was one Tim Tebow. Uh, taken 25th overall by the Denver Broncos. Tim Tebow did not make a Pro Bowl. And the third quarterback taken was Jimmy Clausen. Jimmy Clausen was taken um, 48th overall, second round, by the Carolina Panthers. And Jimmy Clausen did not make a Pro Bowl because out of the 2010 draft, not a single quarterback drafted that year made a single Pro Bowl. Not one. Now, if you draft a quarterback this year, you might not get a Hall of Famer, but the chances of one of them, one of them making a Pro Bowl at any point in their career, you'd say, well, you know, they've got a shot. Nobody from the 2010 draft made a Pro Bowl. Other quarterbacks drafted. Colt McCoy to the Browns. In the third round, he was 85th overall. Colt McCoy. You had Mike Kafka to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, if we just go down the list, you had John Skelton to the Cardinals in the fifth round. Jonathan Crompton to the San Diego Chargers. Didn't even know he existed. Rusty just making up names now. <laughs> Rusty Smith to the Titans with 170. You definitely made that one up. <laughs> Dan Lefevre. Uh, to the Bears in the sixth round. I mean, surely, I mean, when these guys, uh, Joe Webb, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he played for the Panthers, I remember that. Joe, I, I recognize the name, Joe Webb. Tony Pike, drafted by the Cardinals. Uh, 204th player taken overall. Levi Brown, Buffalo Bills, seventh round, 209th player taken 
overall. Sean Canfield to the New Orleans Saints. Oh, yeah, I remember him. 239th overall <laughs> in the seventh round. And finally, Zach Robinson to the New England Patriots with a 250th overall pick. Not one of those players made a single Pro Bowl. And I might be right in thinking that Tim Tebow is the only one who ever won a playoff game. I mean, Sam Bradford might maybe uh, got injured on the way to playing in a playoff game. <laughs> Sam Bradford might have got injured on the way to his car because, you know, God love him, health was not one of the things that, that uh, smiled on Sam Bradford. But some of the other players, I mean, my goodness, Pro Bowlers abound in 2010. Um, you had Jermaine Gresham, uh, Demarius Thomas, as I said, Devin McCourty for the Patriots. You had Dexter McCluster. Yeah. TJ Ward to the Cleveland Browns. You won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. Uh, you had Linval Joseph and Daryl Washington, Carlos Dunlap. He was in 2010. And Cincinnati Bengals. Golden Tate, the wide receiver <laughs> he for the Seahawks. He was taken in 2010. We already spoke about Emmanuel Sanders and um, Demarius Thomas and Des Bryant and Antonio Brown. Uh, Navarro Bowman, San Francisco 49ers. Everson Griffin to the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, there was a lot. Geno Atkins, Cam Chancellor. The Seahawks managed to get Cam Chancellor and um, Earl, Thomas. Earl Thomas in the same draft. It's it's just, it's it's insane to think that not one of these quarterbacks even made a Pro Bowl. That's my random stat for the day. Well, to double down on that, Mac Jones from last year, already been in a Pro Bowl. So 2021 draft class has already outshone it. There you go. 2021, already beaten 2010. To the best of my knowledge, I haven't gone all the way back. To the best of my knowledge, I went, I went as far back as I could. This is the only year where not a single quarterback made the Pro Bowl. Now, there was another year I was looking at, and I'm going, oh my goodness, nobody made the Pro Bowl. But I can't remember what year it was. And there was one, like one guy had made a Pro Bowl. And I was like, oh, good for you. Um, <laughs> Book trend. Do you know what? I'm going to need to try and find exactly um, what it was. You just, just bear with me two seconds. It's going to keep him up at night otherwise. <laughs> you know, it will. It will. But I enjoyed hearing some of those names because some of those players are still in the league. A lot of those players when I was growing up playing Madden and um, that was really when I was getting into NFL as well. I, I mean, a lot of those players brought back a lot of good memories. I mean, Navarro Bowman in the, the the linebacker with Patrick Wills for the, mm. the 49ers. I mean, just some of those names. Like I say, some of them are still in the league, like Devin McCoy. It's just the longevity and Dominic can sue. Oh. I love random stats going back to the history, but recent history is also good. The, the year I was thinking of, it was going to be my random stat. It had a caveat because it's actually the following year, uh, which is 2011, but Cam Newton... Mm-hmm. And and I was looking at him going, was he the only quarterback to make a Pro Bowl, Cam Newton? But he wasn't. He was the first overall pick and he made a Pro Bowl. And in fact, if you drafted out of nine, if you drafted in the top nine in the 2011 draft, you had an eight and nine chance of having <laughs> drafting a Pro Bowler, the only one who wasn't. In fact, <laughs> you had a nine and 11 chance. The only two who didn't make Pro Bowls out of the first 11 picks in the 2011 draft. Quarterback, say it. quarterback Jake Locker and quarterback Blaine Gabbert. Oh, Blaine Gabbert's still in the league? 
What's that? Blaine Gabbert, Stonely. Blaine Gabbert just resigned still, with the books. And then taken 12th that year was Christian Ponder, who also didn't make a Pro Bowl. And none of the other quarterbacks. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, did not a single other quarterback ever made it? But one did. And it's their old friend, taken in the sixth round, 180th overall, Tyrod Taylor. Oh, Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor made a Pro Bowl. And he's the only... Well deserved. Absolutely. And he was the, the, the only one that I could see. I, I may have missed one, but I was just, you know, sort of firing through it. But the 2011 draft, that, looking at that, that's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Uh, Cam Newton, Von Miller, Marcel Darius, A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, Alden Smith. There's your top seven picks. Now, Alden Smith's career, unfortunately, was very, very short. Derailed. Um, but he was an incredible player. His first two years in the league, he was absolute dynamite um you also tyron smith gg watt mike pouncey ryan kerrigan cameron jordan cameron hayward oh my goodness they just just keep on coming the hits keep on coming so yeah to be a cam or a cameron it was very good to be a cam or a cameron (laughs) back in 2011 yes it was now um we are going to probably be ending the show just about here because um we don't have dave and we didn't want to go on too long because, you know, it's we're recording this late at night as well. Purely doing that because every time we finish an episode uh, and then we check Twitter, an hour later, something else happens. There's been another trade or there's been someone's resigned or been signed. And it's just it's getting painful at this point. So uh, to, to the point where I'm starting to think I might not even start uh, just keep running the podcast just in case. Yeah, exactly. You know, 24-7 I mean, podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm check, just checking Ian Rappaport's Twitter right now to make sure. Well, no, whilst you do that, no, so I, I would be remiss oh. if we didn't mention Bobby Wagner for Dave. Uh, oh. Bobby Wagner with his five-year, 50 million, up to 65 million in like maximum. I mean, it was broken by Richard Sherman, which was, a uh, you know, he's trying his hand maybe at NFL Insider now. Mm. Uh, but Bobby Wagner, I mean, we've mentioned him a few times on the show in terms of what's he going to sign for the Rams, what's he going to sign for the Broncos, you know, who was he going to go? Uh, but he's born in LA, went to school in California, and the added bonus that he gets to be up on the Seahawks twice a year probably helps as well. De- deserved his deserved his PD. Good for him. Uh, and that's a it's a big big one for the Rams. He'll improve the defense. I have no no doubts in my mind. He'll make them better. You know? I don't think there'd be many teams and I think we've said this I don't think there would be many teams that Bobby Wagner wouldn't improve um, the only thing I could see in Rappaport 54 minutes ago two new plaintiffs have joined the lawsuit filed by former Dolphins coach Brian Flores those are Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton so it's not been sorted out the, um, from today's filing, Brian Flores wrote a memo after the alleged meeting with owner Stephen Ross in 2019, during which Flores says the Dolphins' owner incentivized him to tank. And I believe that he said that he was offered, uh, was it $100,000 per loss to tank? That's the that's the claim that was made by Brian Flores. Um, I hope it's not true. I hope it's not true, but who knows what happens in uh, professional sports organizations certainly not us that's why we talk about them as if we do so uh jake thank you very much for joining me today i do appreciate it thank you everyone for listening in we will catch you next week hopefully be joined by our 
third partner in crime, uh, Mr. Dave Somerville. But until then, uh, thank you very much. And uh, that was my NFL show. <laughs>